There is there's a thin line between chaos and good. Um, and what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to use the statutes that are on the books in order to, to maintain some semblance of order. And I think the folks are, who are in charge of these things uh, should be a little bit more responsible in how they message things and also how they use them. Welcome in uh, another fantastic week of your favorite uh, political podcast, Alabama Politics This Week, with Josh Moon and David Person. How are you, Dave? Man, I'm doing good. The Golden State Warriors squeaked out a win against the Memphis Grizzlies last night, so I'm feeling great. Oh, man, I saw some of that. I saw Steph Curry get ejected for throwing his mouthpiece because he was so upset with uh, Poole. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was... He was. He wanted that ball. <laughs> he wanted him to rotate that ball, man. Yeah. And uh, Poole took one of the dumbest shots you'll ever see. But somehow or other, still, still managed to win. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes Poole hits those shots, though. But yeah. But I think. Yeah. But I think Curry was right because Curry's like we. He'd been hot all game, and like, mm-hmm. come on, you know, pass the ball, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He. Uh, I'm, I'm a little angry with uh, with with Steph Curry. He cost me some money the other night. Uh, oh, did so, so, oh, did yeah. He? <laughs> yeah. He did. He did not get his 30 points that I needed to hit the rest of that uh, six leg parlay. So, uh, uh, but listen, you know uh, that. I mean, it's 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 not real money. It's fake money. I uh, would never gamble in a illegal gambling state so uh in a state where gambling is i would never do uh but it's uh so look yeah it's you know i I enjoy the nba season it's uh it's nice uh it's it's nice to get around it's it's not my favorite i like the football as everybody knows but uh uh, still i i do enjoy the uh the nba as well and so it's uh it's good to uh, good to see them i I tell you man i'm interested to see uh what happens with the lakers Uh, i got a feeling that the lakers are going to end up finishing a little better than people gave them uh, credit for they may uh, yeah they may i know they've struggled some but they're not they're not far out that that yeah. west is pretty tight after you get past the first couple of teams uh it's it's pretty tight all the way up and down the board so yeah. anyway we'll yeah, see what so happens. that's your nba talk for today hope you enjoyed that <laughs> um all right um let's go to school choice yeah and start with that because apparently uh it's school choice week who knew there was such a thing? Um, uh, you know, uh, I guess we're being educated on School Choice Week. Uh-huh. And so all of your Republican friends, you've probably seen them on social media and uh, dropping these little videos and, you know, speaking at this event or that event and telling you how wonderful School Choice is and using these vague phrases about uh, giving parents choices and, you know, putting education back into the hands of parents and uh um, you know, I, I seem to recall, mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. a time just a couple of years ago where we put a lot of education in the hands of the parents and the parents said, whoa, whoa, whoa take this shit back. We don't want this. OK. <laughs> and in the midst of the pandemic, when everybody was learning from home and stuff, and they're like, yeah, no, we don't want any more of this. Please, teachers, we love you. Um, and nobody was worried about indoctrination for those uh, few days. I right. can tell you that right. uh, they just wanted their kids to go back to school. Uh, and you know, it honestly, it's, it's one of the bolder, more idiotic scams that, that happens that that's currently happening that people are accepting of. And to just watch people fall for this 
complete and utter bullshit is really staggering to 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 watch them take the take in that their kids are being indoctrinated by these woke teachers uh, when I mean you know the teachers what are you talking about <laughs> you know you know them uh, and that you know you're you should be able to decide where your kids go to school. Well, you can. You can move into whatever district you like. You know, if if it's if it's that important to you, right. uh, or you can, if you feel uh, that they're not getting a good education, you can get more involved in your local schools and uh, and and help push that education to be better. Uh, but you know the the idea that that this is somehow the answer to failing quote unquote failing schools and kids who are trapped in a failing school is nonsense because it falls apart with the, the, I mean, this, this argument falls apart with just the most basic follow-up questions, which are, Oh, Oh, the, so you're going to let kids transfer out of the failing. Oh, so they can go anywhere they like and and you're going to, you're going to provide them transportation. Well, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to do that. And and we're also not going to force these other schools to accept them. Uh, You know, we're not going to do that at all. Or they can go to a private school if they can get their own transportation over there, because we all know how easy that would be for these working families and at impoverished levels. Oh, 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 so, so then you're going to, so you're going to close this failing school. Well, that, you know, that way no kids get this failing school education. Well, no, no, we're not. As a matter of fact, we're going to leave the majority of the students still at the failing school. We're just going to take away more of the resources that they had uh, by taking away the kids whose parents were already involved, uh, involved enough to get them uh, over to another school, to a private school. And we're going to take away the money that came with them that helped to pay for some of the learning disabled students and courses and things like that. that that's what we're going to take away from this failing school. So it'll be even more of a failing school. And it'll trap even more kids into this horrible education and these horrible educational outcomes uh, that leave them with zero options for the future. That's what we're going to do. That's the answer. But we're going to give these children of means an opportunity to skip over to these private businesses that aren't adhering to the same standards as the public schools uh, and and are hiring teachers that aren't adhering to the same standards as the teachers in the public schools. And we're going to say that that education is better, even though there is zero proof of that. Mm-hmm. Zero proof of that, as, as, unlike what we have coming out of these public schools. And so we're just going to create this facade that it's better because, you know, those guys donated a lot to my campaign. Yeah. So really, as you said in your column about this, this is really about segregation. Now, mm-hmm. you you know, we're going to broaden the term as you did in your column. And I think you were exactly on point when you did. This is about economic segregation, not just racial segregation, but economic segregation. And it's mm-hmm. also about the really, I think the underlying premise really is this sort of Freudian kind of, um, I think I think it's Freud. Uh, uh, the survival of the fittest, the strong survive, the, you know, we're the ones Darwinian who are, sort of, yeah. Hmm? Yeah, Darwinian. Yeah, Darwin, uh, thank of. you. It's not Freud, it's Darwin. Yeah. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this sort of idea that that those who who succeed are supposed to succeed and those who aren't, well, well, you know. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that, of course, is that it doesn't ring true because 
first of all, we know based upon the history of this country, uh, you know, disenfranchised people, whether it's because of poverty, race, whatever the reason is, uh, they aren't given the same opportunities. They don't have the same, uh, you know, and it doesn't have anything to do with their capacity. And that's nope. proven, that that was proven, <clears throat> and I'm going to use the black experience as an example for this. That was proven during the Jim Crow era, where mm-hmm. you had places like Tuskegee Institute, where you had clearly not the same kind of funding, not the same kind of opportunities, and yet you had the genius of George Washington Carver, who was literally yep. inventing hundreds of products just on the peanut, the peanut alone, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, yeah, he, exactly. didn't, he didn't yes. have Harvard, Yale money, you know, or mm-hmm. University of Alabama resources. It was Tuskegee Institute in the 40s. Yeah. And yet he was doing this brilliant work. So, you know, that's just one of probably a thousand examples uh, or or maybe a million examples that we could find, you know, uh, over the course of, of, of time, you know, in this country. Um, so it just it doesn't hold up. And yet they continue to promulgate this sort of false idea that, um, you know, those who have deserve to have more, those who don't have or who haven't achieved deserve to have less. And it's mm-hmm. a, it's a false premise. It's a false religion, really. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, 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 you know, the, the other uh, uh, lie that is told here is that somehow our public schools are failing uh, people and kids. Um, there are certainly struggling public schools. There are certainly, as I said in there, there, there are problems within our public schools that we, we need to stamp out whenever we find them. Okay. And we need, and the way that you do that is you have involved parents, uh, and that, that get the community around it involved, uh, and, and you shine lights on, on these problems. Okay. And that's how, that's how it works. That's how good public schools work is the parents are involved. It's a community effort uh, to educate uh, the broader society. That's what we. That's the reason we have this, okay? Uh, that, that we've determined in the United States of America that an educated populace is important to our survival and to the benefit of our country and that we will progress and we will all benefit from all of us receiving a quality education in our youth that we carry into life and become trained to do some sort of a job that contributes to the greater overall good of our society. Uh, this is not a hard concept, okay? And you know, public school knowledge. I'm dropping on you here. Uh, so I mean, it's just, yeah. I, I mean, so so this idea that they're failing is nonsense. They're not failing, okay? They're not. They're not failing anybody. The public schools do a better job of educating the overall populace than any private school or charter school in the country. Yes, yes. You can point to various examples of schools out there, charter schools, uh, private schools, or whatever, that do a good job of educating their kids and are top-notch schools where kids go to if, if with uh, people of means that donate to them and, and pay outrageous tuition prices uh, to go to these places, and their kids receive a very, very high-level quality education that sets them up for life, okay? Yes, those schools exist out there, okay? But they don't exist for, for most everybody out there. They don't. 
They don't exist for that. And so when you're talking about educating a, a the total populace out there, every kid that walks through that door, no matter what their home life is, no matter what their income levels are, no matter what their learning disabilities are, there is no better source of education than public schools. They do a tremendous, tremendous job of educating the overall student body. OK, they do. There's no comparison to that. Now, I am a believer that charter schools, specialized charter schools and private schools can can complement that public school education in certain areas. I think uh, Jeffrey Canada's Harlem Day School does a fantastic job of supplementing the the education that's taking place within the New York City uh, public school system and, and and it provides this avenue for a group of kids that are selected by lottery every year and they go through there and they tr- they have tremendous success doing this. But you are you going to make all the schools like that because let me tell you Harlem Day School, you go, you get there on Monday morning and you don't leave until Saturday. Mm. <laughs> OK, mm. you know, uh, that's that's your home. Uh, LeBron School in, in Akron, uh, you know, that is set up. They do a tremendous job. But again, it's a long term, all day long kind of a school that is set up for parents to come in and get, at, you know, uh, workforce work training. Uh, the kids can get coats and meals and food to take home. And uh, so if you want to do that, that's great. But it's not your average, you know, show, get there, the bell rings at eight and you leave at three right. school. OK, right. it's just not that. And and those when you're talking about that, just regular education that the majority of kids get every every day in this country, the public schools do a fantastic job of doing that. And there's no school choice that's going to that's going to come about that's going to give you a better opportunity overall to get your kid a better education. All right. There, there's only fixing what we have or destroying what we have. Yeah. That's all. There, that's the options here. All right. Because doing that stuff with the vouchers, that's not going to help. It's not going to create a better pathway for all of these kids. I've seen it firsthand. I know what happened in Montgomery when the, when this started happening there, when they when they figured out ways to segregate the schools. Uh, you know, after after the Jim Crow era uh, and they were forced to integrate and they figured out ways to continue segregation. That what happened is they're now reaping the consequences of all of that, of of separate and unequal uh, and and pushing kids to, to the worst schools and and dividing and making the dividing line based on basically home economics. And uh, and, and now you've left generation uh you know two generations of children with just the one of the poorest educations that you could have because you pushed them into these schools where they had nothing you know they had no they didn't have the same opportunities they didn't have the same uh you know, resources they didn't have the same sort of educational opportunities that kids across town did and so you know you, you just left them hanging down to dry and this is the consequence of that, yeah. you know, of what's taking place now. Yeah, and I think, you know, too, we should also, I think, underscore, Josh, the fact that there's something inherently wrong with uh, transferring uh, public money to private, as you call huh. them, private businesses. Yes. And, uh, you know, in, in in this way. I mean, ostensibly, 
to provide education for children, but we know what's actually happening is it's a defunding of public schools. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something that I think is is really immoral about that. Uh, and and then, as you've pointed out, a lot of these private schools or charter schools have a mission that really would put them in violation of receiving public funds if this were being done in a more in a less covert kind of way. You yes. know, um, you know, because they're 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 teaching. You know, they're promulgating religion uh, or in partisan politics, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they're telling the, you know, and and they're they're going to these schools claiming, you know, they don't want their children indoctrinated as they're on their way to Bible class. You know, I mean, it's just, it's nonsense and there's no way... uh, I I don't, I don't care what your religion is. I don't care about that, okay? Uh, But... I don't want to pay for it. Right. And, and, and as a person, and I, you know, let me be completely transparent here as a person who not only is a church going person today, but who has received virtually all of his education from private parochial religious, you know, Seventh Day Adventist institutions, I can tell you, I'm not in favor of it either. Mm. I'm not in favor of seeing public school money rerouted to Seventh-day Adventist schools, Catholic schools, Baptist schools, Presbyterian schools, any kind of religious institution. I'm not in favor of it. I don't think, I think it's unconstitutional, A. Yes. And B, I think it is a defunding of public schools that is, uh, it is covert and it is detrimental. Yes. Yeah. It, I, I agree a hundred percent. And, and it's, you know, it just the, the thing that bothers me is this: is that we know the answer. We know the answer to mm-hmm. to this problem. Okay, we know the answer to struggling schools. We know the answer to failing schools, quote unquote. Uh, we know the answer to to helping lift kids uh, that are historically at the bottom. Uh, and and here's the thing about it: is so often. Uh, we get caught up in in the race issue on this, okay? And and it's a race issue essentially by default, okay? Because of the way the country treated African American citizens for so long, it forced a large majority of African Americans into poverty, okay? Mm-hmm. And so that's where it became a race issue is because a high number of impoverished people were African Americans. Right. Uh, so we—that's where this lies, though. Is is it's not a race issue. It's a it's an economic issue, and we know it's an economic issue. We've seen it. it there's no there's no measure that that cuts across this more than money. There's nothing, nothing out there that cuts across it like money does. Okay. It's, it's, we, we know the dividing line and it is, it is, you know, free and reduced lunch basically levels. And so we know from our, well, but let me ask you a question though. I mean, Mm -hmm. because in my mind, race and poverty are inextricably linked in this country. I don't really Mm -hmm. know how you separate one from the other. I think they sort of feed off of each other. When it right. comes to the decisions that are made, so while I would agree with you that 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 poverty or class is you know is sort of the it's the I don't know if you want to say the the overriding issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I still believe that in the minds of many, when they think poverty, mm-hmm. they think race. 
Sure, sure, sure. I don't, I don't disagree with with that at all. All I'm, all I'm saying is, is I think there is a solution to this, and the solution is what uh, we we tried in uh, in the seventies and into the eighties. Um, and 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 at the time, it was a race based solution uh, out of necessity, uh, and that was integration. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we integrated schools. Uh, based on you know the Supreme Court rulings and and laws at that time, and we integrated them uh, at, based on race, and this, we need, we required certain percentages of black students uh, to be in in certain schools, and we we bust you know we had the busing system to make sure that that took place. I would suggest that we we stop that, and instead we bus based on economics. Based on the finances of of kids and and their families, and and we stop worrying about the race issue, and I think it captures the race issue itself, and and solve that problem as well. But it is presented as here's what we're going to do: we're going to re we're going to reinstitute integration, but we're going to integrate based on economics on on the income of students based on free and reduced lunch. And each school has to have a, have a minimum amount of, of free and reduced lunch students based upon the percentage of free and reduced lunch students in the county. Okay. All right. And we're going to spread those out amongst all the schools. There's not going to be any more Mountain Brooks where there's zero free and reduced lunch. There's not going to be any more Vestavia Hills where there's zero free and reduced lunch. There's not going to be any more Madison schools where there's zero free and reduced lunch. There, we're going to have it's going it, no more city school nonsense where you're zoned for city schools instead of county schools. No more of this. We're going to do away with that. We're going to have county. We're going to base it all on the county, and in each county, we're going to have the baseline of whatever free and reduced lunch there is in the county, and that's what each school has got to maintain. And we're going to bus it to make sure that it happens, and we're going to provide the transportation for those kids, and we're going to make sure that each school has equal resources and opportunity, and. Let's see where the chips lay in ten years. Hmm. Well, I like it. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think it's fair. I think it would be, as you said. I think it would. It would. It would. It would address the race problem simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, now, people are going to fight me in the street oh, over this. Well, I was going to uh, say, yeah, yeah. You, you're going to get <laughs> so much resistance because it's a complete uh, overhaul of of the way this. It would be a complete overhaul of the way the state does business, and mm-hmm. and I'm sure it would probably end up being challenged in court on, over some, you know, man, some manufactured, you know, issue. Yeah, but uh, yeah, or maybe just, multiple you know, manufactured issues. But I, yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, why not? Uh, you know, I'm, I, it is integration, and you can look back at the statistics on this. Integration is the only thing that has ever truly worked to transform our public schools uh, and, and our, or our education system. I keep saying public schools, but our education system overall mm-hmm. is the only thing that has ever on a large scale lifted the bottom up. OK, the bottom. Uh, and at that point, it was based on race. And uh, but look, we can base it on race all we want to. But what we truly know about this is that there's no difference between a black student and a white student in, in terms of learning ability and capabilities. There's no difference whatsoever. OK, the overall the overall uh, minds of, of these children, there's no difference except except for the, the poverty levels. And so we know what we were really doing at that time was we were busing 
poor, the majority, poor students mm-hmm. to, to white schools, okay? And it lifted those poor students up. Uh, and, and while we will say it lifted black students up because that's who we were but that's what we were focusing on at the time. What we were really focusing on was we were we were busing poor so students. So you, but you, but you made an assertion, which I believe is fact. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, but you made an assertion that many people don't accept as fact. You said there's no difference between white students mm-hmm. and black students in terms of their academic potential and their capacity. Mm-hmm. There, there are a lot of people, you're saying this as what I would call a woke white man or an enlightened white man or whatever kind of description. A white, per- a white man of goodwill is ready to get my will. <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 to go to a previous podcast, yes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but the reality is I don't think, I think there are a lot of white people and actually I think there are even a handful of black people, percentage wise, mm-hmm. who don't believe that. Who believe actually that 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 white people are inherently superior. And so they don't believe that, and that continues to be what fuels, you know, and they don't believe that even when we see, and I mean, you, you cited one, I think, amazing example. What an amazing example. Uh, you cited LeBron James. You talked about mm-hmm. his school. Now, what is what is really, I think, easy to forget, especially for people who don't keep up with the NBA or keep up with LeBron James, is that LeBron James is a high school graduate. Yep. He's a high school graduate who is now the NBA's first active playing billionaire. Mm-hmm. He took his career in his own hands against the 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 conventional wisdom that he should have been using established agents and managers instead he went back to his boyhood friends yep. and pulled Maverick. a team together and now yep. he is the NBA's first active billionaire he's created a school foundations uh this this guy is a money making machine he is mm-hmm. the epitome of capitalism and also social justice all at the same time. Mm-hmm. He's one of the trans, probably, arguably, we're going to have to say at some point, LeBron James may be one of the most transformative people of the 21st century. Yeah. And that's a guy, a black guy who grew up with a single mother, poor, in Akron, Ohio, and only has a high school degree. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there are... There are so many examples of of children who are impoverished out there that don't have an opportunity. Um, and and they are as smart as anybody you'll ever meet in your life. Um, and and it's, it, you know, I, I don't the, the thing that I think we get. Uh, we, we sometimes get caught up in, and I, I'm guilty of it myself, is is saying, well, look at this one guy. and Look at this one guy. I'm, I'm saying you take a classroom of black children and a classroom of white children and a classroom of Hispanic kids, and you put them in there, you give them the same resources, the same opportunities, the same teachers, the same books, the same everything, and I guarantee you that overall, the outcomes will be very, very similar. 
Now, a lot of it will will, will rely on what happens at home, yes. uh, yeah. you know, and, and you put it, you know, but so you make everything equal. You make everything as equal as possible. And there is nothing out there. There's no research. There's no medical studies. There's no anything that will point and show you that a white kid has a better mind for learning than a black kid or a Hispanic kid or an Asian kid or anything else. It's I, all I'm saying is, is we, we've done these idiotic things where we've suggested that, that children can learn based on the color of their skin. And it's, it's so, it, if you honestly, if you say that out loud and take a step back and think about it, just do that. Just take a, just think about that for just a second. Take a step back and think about us, us actually believing that, that groups of children can learn differently right. based on the color of their skin. Think of, think how stupid that shit is and wonder what happened. Why did we think that? What, what sort of indoctrination did we receive that made us believe that dumb shit, man? Because, I mean, that is so stupid. If you really sit back and think about how stupid that is, it's just insane. But, you know, we based entire policy on it. We based entire policy on this. and. Uh, and, and and pretended as though if people still pretend they're right about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> and that's about how they sound, too. Right? Yeah, see, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the stupid sound of the Charlie Brown teacher. Yeah, I mean, it's a stupid Charlie Brown teacher. <laughs> um, all right, let's, uh, let's, see what, let's slide out of here. Yeah. Uh, we'll come back. Uh, we got uh, Chris England. Uh, Representative Chris England, yeah. no longer Chairman Chris England. So, uh, yeah. uh, but uh, we, he's got uh, we've got some, a, a, a smorgasbord of things to to discuss with him uh, about uh, Steve Marshall and abortion laws and ADP and bylaws and uh, the, just a, just a bunch of stuff uh, that we're gonna we're gonna run down with him. He's a he's a smart guy, so we love having him on and, and talking about things like this. So uh, we'll be back in a minute. Alabama politics this week. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends And also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. And we are happy to again have with us Representative Chris England. Um, Yes, yes. It's it's kind of... um, I kind of think of, of of Chris as like the the brain of the Alabama legislature. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like you know there would be all these people fighting over these issues and stuff, and then Chris will come up to the, to the microphone on the floor, and then there'll just be this this sort of intellectual discussion that takes place where there are these questions that are asked to people. And you know they don't have the answers for them. You know mm-hmm. they don't have the answers, and it's just what it's, it's honestly it's like watching somebody dissect a frog. Uh, in real time, <laughs> using only words, uh, and, and it's uh, it's it's great, man. I think you're you're basically a state treasure, as what I'm saying here. 
uh, yeah. and, uh, in, in 2023, I'm supposed to be able to accept uh, compliments and so forth a lot better and not deflect. So I'll say thank you. Listen, I understand. I understand completely your problem with that. I would I have I have better responses for people when they come up and, and insult me. Uh, then yeah. when they come up and say, "Oh, I love your stuff," I have no idea what to say to you. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say. You know, um, you telling me that I'm the smartest person in the legislature is such a low standard. You know, like, uh, oh, ouch, ouch, ouch. Like, hey, 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 Chris. One time, man. Uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but you were the keynote speaker at a major event in Huntsville, uh, the Von Braun Center. And after you spoke, this cat comes up to me and he gives me a handshake. And I think it might, well, I won't get into the handshake, but it was a, an unusual handshake. I'll frame it that way. And, uh, and I was like, well, what is that? Why did you do that? And he's like, oh, I thought you were the keynote speaker. So <laughs> at that particular point in time, my he hair was, was low and I think I had a beard. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a fairly big guy, I guess, you know, tall, not, not, uh, I think I'm probably heftier than you are, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, man, he confused us. And I thought, hey, look, man, we all look alike. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was supposed to, I think he was supposed to be one of your brothers, you know, one of your yeah, frat brothers. He probably yeah. tried to uh, give you the, the uh, out the grip. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, you know, um, you'd be amazed how many times I was confused for Earl Hillier Jr. When I was in, ele- when he was in the legislature. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. uh-huh. So, yeah, it, it, you know, like I said, it happens. You know, and y'all don't look nothing alike, man. Nothing alike. Yeah. Y'all don't look nothing alike. But, you know, like I said, man, you know, we all, we all look alike. We all, we all fit a description, you know? Hey, <laughs> 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 right. well, uh, uh, we, we're, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, and, and we were very fortunate to also catch you at a time when you're very irritated. Uh, yeah. And it's uh, and, and irritated Chris England is the best Chris England I think to me I mean I think that when, whenever we catch you when you're really angry at somebody about something and uh, and it tied right into what we wanted to talk about which was the the abortion issue and uh, you and I corresponded a little bit about Steve Marshall and uh, his idiotic comments which I, I honestly I think when he starts talking to right wing outlets. He just he he's so intent on proving himself to be this ultra conservative MAGA guy uh, that he forgets that other people are going to be able to hear this nonsense as well. Uh, yeah. And and that kind of happened, I think, with this chemical endangerment thing, where he talked about using the chemical endangerment laws uh, to prosecute pregnant women uh, that that try to go out and and receive abortion medication uh, through a doctor, through a pharmacy, or through the mail. Uh, and and I don't think. Uh, honestly, I don't think he ever thought about the fact that, first of all, that's nonsense and that uh, somebody would check him on it because it was going to go out to a conservative audience and who was paying attention, right? Yeah. I, um, one of my biggest pet peeves is it, it's, it's, in, it's really there. It's in black and white. Like it's, it's right there in front of you. Yeah. Uh, in, that, in that critical endangerment statute, it's literally the, if he just flipped the page over. It says exactly what it doesn't apply to, um, and you know, there is there's a thin line between chaos and order, um, and what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to use the statutes that are on the books in order to to maintain some semblance of order. And I think the folks who are who are in charge of these things 
uh, should be a little bit more responsible in how they message things and also how they use them. Um, there's really no place for that uh, to try to intimidate a whole segment of the population by making an idle threat when the law prohibits it. It's not even, it wasn't even intended for that purpose. And I'm going to, I'm going to date myself here, but I was actually in the legislature when that bill first passed, when the chemical endangerment statute first passed. Uh, and ironically, the sponsor of that bill was, uh, was Jeff McLaughlin, who at one point was, I think, law partners with Steve Marshall. So, <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. I, you know, and I, it's, it's, it's so, wow. it's, you know, I, like I said, I think I've been doing this too long when mm-hmm. all those ties are kind of coming together organically. Yeah. But uh, those issues were actually, some of those issues were identified in that conversation then when we were having a debate about how that legislation was eventually going to play itself out. And it has. Women, uh, pregnant people um, have been arrested um, for in taking illegal, and I stress the word illegal substances. I voted against the bill then because I felt like it was going to drive pregnant people away from the health care that they needed. Um, because they were going to be afraid of being prosecuted versus treated. But who knew that someone would try to manipulate that same law to scare people into thinking they could do something that the law prohibited them from doing? And even in that debate, we mentioned that it wouldn't apply to things like that. So uh, it's just odd that we're here 12 years later or whatever, 14 years later, having the same conversation that we thought we had years ago. But. Well, this was not uh, this was not Steve Marshall's first attempt at this. Uh, shortly after the the Roe decision from the Supreme Court, uh, Steve Marshall uh, went out on another conservative media outlet and uh, and talked about using another law, uh, you know, to uh, to to prosecute people who might help uh, pregnant women go to other states to receive. Yep. Uh, yeah, and honestly, I wrote in a column this way. I actually had a circuit court judge that laughed about this. So it called me to, to laugh about this and say, well, are you going to prosecute me for taking my wife to Tunica to play, you know, poker? Is that what you're going to do? Uh, you know, and it's, uh, and, but it was, uh, all, it seems all of this is meant to confuse people and to, and to scare the hell out of women. Also capitalize off of it as well to get the attention uh, that, you know, you may desire if you, you've got plans for higher office. Yep. Um, but one of the things I've always been told, it's hard to do one job when you got your eyes on another. Mm. So, um, again, uh, there's a responsible way to do this. Um, our attorney general, uh, I-, I would think, as a chief law enforcement agent in the state of Alabama, would encourage the responsible interpretation, conservative perter- interpretation of the statutes that we have and make sure that if I'm going to encourage you to follow the law, and I'm going to make sure I give you a, a reasonable and rational explanation of it. That's, and I think that's all we ask for. So the column I wrote about it, I noted that there were three places in the law in which it said this shall not be used to <laughs> to prosecute women. I mean, it was literally mentioned three times. Yeah. Three yeah. times. So, again, you, you just you think. You know what? What is he doing? What is he? Tr- and I and I think you hit it right on the head. He's just he knows he can't do what he's trying to do. He just or what he says he wants to do. He's just trying to create confusion and fear, just more manipulation of a vulnerable segment 
of the voting base and 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 really just manipulation of the vote voting base as a whole. Yeah, and you know there are ways to hold folks accountable for that, um, but you know, well, I guess elections have consequences. Um, I mean, we just. So you're going to, you know, I've told you I'm frustrated. You, you got me all wrapped up, man. Uh, you know, <laughs> our secretary of state now doesn't want our voting machines connected to the Internet, I guess, because, you don't want the Russians and the Chinese to get a hold of it. Our attorney general is taking advantage of, of the law to try to scare people into, into controlling conduct, even though the law prohibits him from doing that. Uh, and our governor is passing executive orders that um, to dealing with pardons and parole that are essentially an admission that they can't do anything about the problem. So, mm. I mean, I mean, like I just said, man, there's just so much stuff going on in Alabama that is just, you know, backwards and wrong. And, and unlike just general admissions that, that you know, we're the, uh, that they overwhelm us to the point that we don't have an answer anymore. Um, I, I, I just, so like I like like I told you earlier, I just these days I just kind of wake up frustrated, um, and just waiting for another problem to to reveal itself. So, so what? It's really just anyway. Go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You you've been in the legislature. No, that's all right, Chris. You've been in the legislature for as you said for a good good period of time. You know, over over what over 15 years, approaching 20 years now. Is that right? Well, so yeah. so um. You've seen a lot. You've heard a lot. What if you had to try to explain Alabama to someone outside of the state? How would you explain it? I mean, what would you say? Uh, what's the real problem here? And, 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 and as I ask that question, Chris, I think about a term that Josh, I think, coined or if Josh didn't coin it, he certainly helped to um, uh, give it uh, a higher level of uh, uh, visibility, the Alabamification yeah. of things. You know what's what's at the root of that? What do you think it is that 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 creates this environment where we have this this kind of this 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 political social culture that ends up making us. You know the 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 butt of every joke and last on every list. Yeah, I say it all the time. Alabama is a place where the dead continue to bury the living. Um, mm. We let the spirits of uh, things that the rest of the free world has buried and moved beyond. We continue to let those things haunt us and drive our public policy. Uh, I mean, just for example, he, you talk about our Constitution. You talk about the holidays that we celebrate, the people that we revere, um, the policies that we celebrate. Uh, and it seems like this almost in, insatiable thirst to set the clocks back uh, to a time where, you know, I, I guess you say America was great, I guess. Um, it, it, it impacts basically every element of our human relation here. And, you know, you say, well, ask for examples. I'll give you one. Uh, we, we're talking about a, a, a divisive concept legislation that um, will be introduced again, where we got politicians determining for educators what is acceptable to be taught in a classroom. So we got politicians telling educators how to educate. And 
divisive concepts always end up being from the perspective of the person who's in charge. So you can have something, a person in the same classroom being told that I can't talk to you about certain elements of black history because it makes, you know, white children feel guilty. But at the same time, we're going to celebrate and talk about people who uh, were responsible for enslaving you. So you're not really concerned about everybody's feelings in that classroom or how they feel. But you also talk about that in the context of the Human Life Preservation Act. Because again, the dead bury the living here because we are trying to restore a time where women could not have any control or dominion over their own bodies. Or you talk about a criminal justice system where we continue to let the dead bury the living in the sense that uh, somebody's selling you a bill of goods talking about the longer you incarcerate somebody, the safer you are. And we know that's not true. So, I mean, it haunts every element of human relation in Alabama. And I think that if we would start letting go of some of those true divisive concepts and, 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 and invest ourselves in true governing where unpopular decisions are necessary because in order to make these systems work, uh, we have to make decisions that aren't necessarily popular or won't necessarily get you elected or won't scare everybody into voting for you and giving you a whole bunch of money. Well, if you start doing those things, you would see our state grow because we will divest ourselves of all of these divisive concepts that are continuing to hold us back. Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, our attorney general and our secretary of state and our governor. And um, I would argue, I would make the argument that the the worst entity that we have in our state is our Supreme Court here, um, uh, that our, our Alabama Supreme Court and, and what they do. Um, and because I, I, I think they've just given up on following the law and precedent. Uh, I mean, it's uh, what they've done recently in the case of Green Track. I don't care how anybody feels about, you know, gambling and, and electronic bingo and that sort of thing. But what they did over there where they just essentially took over a case and imposed a $100 million tax bill on, a, on, a, on an entity over there was just one of the worst uh, uh, ignoring of precedent and rules and, and protocol that I've ever seen. But the, in, in addition to that, They've also, uh, in the last couple of weeks, came out and, and said that our governor could now uh, ignore the, the time limitations on basically on executions, uh, making it easier for us to execute somebody. And even more egregious, they came out with a ruling that said that our appellate court no longer has to review these, case, these death penalty cases to the same extent in which they did, making it easier for us to kill innocent people. Uh, because there have been some a number of instances in which our appellate courts have caught egregious mistakes that have taken place, and they have saved the lives of people that were going to be put to death uh, through mm-hmm. this process. And we're going to ignore it because it's it's, it's just really it's taken so much time, it's taken so much time from these folks that that is their only job basically to do these things. Um, I, I guess I say all that to say. It, we have we we seem to be okay with just making up laws now, um, and I mean maybe we've always done it, but I mean there at least seemed to be for a period of time uh, an idea that our highest court 
had to follow certain rules and they took pride in following certain rules and protocols and precedents. And that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Well, you know, I'm a lawyer, so you'll never see me talk bad about a bunch of judges. Um, <laughs> uh, so what I'll say is, you know, I've disagreed with a lot of the decisions that have been made. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, like, for example, the Confederate Monuments bill, for example, uh, the way they interpreted that, I, I think was I think was wrong. Um, but at the core of that issue, though, I don't think you can have confidence in as a person, as a as, as a public can have confidence in a judge that's elected through partisan election that takes contributions from from the same people that they're going to rule on cases from. Right. Um, I think because, you know, when I first got there to the legislature, um, in order to even remove the, the appearance of impropriety, um, I introduced legislation that would make them nonpartisan, make them appointed, um, use a, a, a system like what's used in, I think, Missouri, where they appoint judges and vote to retain them or not. But also remove some of the money from the from, from the uh, equation and limit how much you can contribute to a judicial race, too. Um, and, of course, it didn't get anywhere. And that was under Democrats, um, because, you know, polit- as you know, politicians t- can, uh, tend to perpetuate systems that get them yes. reelected. Yes. And at the time, uh, you know, Democrats were in control of just about everything. So we wanted to keep e- keep the same systems in place that would make sure that we stayed in power. Well, those things, when you are focused on those sorts of goals, uh, you're not focused on governing you're eventually going to be suffering from the same thing that you're protecting. So um, it's hard for people, the common person, to have real faith in the judicial system if you elect a judge to a partisan system who answers questions like I would, like, are you for or against abortion? I'm not supposed to care. I'm supposed to look at the law and, and, and enforce it. Or am I, am I a Second Amendment person? Or am I, if I'm a gun person or not? Who cares? As a judge, you hand me the law, you hand me the facts, I'm supposed to interpret them, apply them, and render a decision in a partial way. Right. So it's, supposed to, it's not generated to be popular, and it's also not the purpose of it isn't for me to get reelected off of the decisions that I render. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for the public to have any confidence in a system like that because they know, or they believe, rather, that a person who can contribute more to the system can get a better outcome. So, like I said, I'm not going to criticize our, our, the judges because, you know, at some point, they, you know, they, I may need them for something. But uh-huh. at the same time, though, I understand that right now it appears that uh, it's not really justice for all in, that, in, in, our, in our current scenario. Yeah, yeah. And also, if you want to talk about the death penalty itself. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things, again, where the theme continues, where we talk about dead folks burying living people because the rest of the country is beginning to move away from the death penalty because it doesn't work, it is not an effective deterrent to crime, and it costs more to put someone to death than it does to incarcerate them forever. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that we do when we put people to death is exact revenge, not achieve justice. Put it all, that's, that's the whole purpose of it, 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 it of, have, of what it's become. Because right. if it doesn't serve a public safety purpose, then obviously now we're at the point where the state is exacting vengeance and retribution versus 
meeting out justice. And that's not the intent of it. Yeah. And I, I agree with everything you just said. I, I do have a question, though, about something you said, because you talked about what we have always known up to this point, which is that it's more expensive to execute than to uh, than to incarcerate. And that's in part largely, I thought, because of the appeals process. So Correct. now with this change in the law, does that reduce the no. the cost of execution? It can't, because even though even when they're trying to speed the process up, the Constitution guarantees you the uh, the appeals that these folks are availing themselves to. So we, as a matter of fact, it's a good point you bring up because we passed the what was called the Fair Justice Act a few years ago that was supposed to speed up the process from trial to sentencing. To, ex- to appeal to execution, and nothing has changed. It's because the nature of the process itself avails those who are accused and convicted of a number of appeals that we just can't skip. And, you know, we, we're going to continue to run into the same sort of issues, as they call them, just in a different way. Okay. Another, another thing I wanted to, to ask you about, because uh, I noticed you had said, um, on something on, on social media about this. And that was back, and I, I read a column about this as well. And it was about the split of Martin Luther King Day with Robert yeah. E. Lee Day in the, in Alabama, uh, in which people from outside of the state think that you're joking whenever you tell them this, that this still occurs uh, <laughs> in this day and age. Um, but it, no, it's a real thing. And, 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 and it still happens. But I know she said that uh, you encouraged uh, your, your fellow lawmakers, uh, particularly those on the Republican side, because let's be honest, at this point, those are the folks that are keeping this nonsense in place, uh, you know, to support legislation uh, that may be coming that would do away with the Robert E. Lee portion of this. Yeah. So, so do, is there, uh, do you have legislation or you know of legislation that's planned for the 2023 session? And, and if so, what do you think the chances are of that legislation being successful? Well, I will, I'm, I mean, I'll introduce it. I think uh, others, other folks will introduce it. Um, the chances of it being successful will, will require us to compromise uh, on something that I, I don't think is something worth compromising, which is, you know, if we're going to separate the holidays, uh, certain folks want us to just move Robert E. Lee Day to another day. And I don't think that's a compromise. And, and the reason why is, um, as a state, we make a conscious decision uh, uh, to choose the people we celebrate and we revere. In my opinion, and many others, Robert E. Lee is not that person, is not worthy of reverence. He's not worthy of a day to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Just like Jefferson Davis is, and just like the Confederacy isn't. And this isn't about erasing history. This is about putting in its proper perspective. So you can always go to any museum that you'd like, buy you a book, and read about it, celebrate it all you want at your house. But as a state uh, who's got such a significant history with civil rights and a failure to recognize human rights, I think it'd be a good olive branch to extend to the citizenry to get rid of some of the symbols that represent the same thing that we now allegedly find reprehensible, right? So in order to do that, even if for people who think that's just a minor step and it's just, you know, superficial, yeah. uh, it's a it's a it's a an extension of good faith to let you know that at the very least I recognize that that symbol offends you as it should. 
And I recognize it's an, it's an offensive to the point where we'll put it back in the history books where it belongs, but we won't have to celebrate. And who who's who's going to force? Because I, I see it every you know you see it every every uh, Martin Luther King Day these beautiful quotes that they yank out of context and they put on these beautiful backdrops and they put yeah. them out there every you know this is what Dr. King thought this is what he meant this is what he wants and then force him to be recognized on somebody on a day the same day that somebody who's completely uh, supposed to be objectionable to the thing you just quoted. Mm-hmm. What kind of sense does that make? And why would we still continue to struggle and fight to protect that sort of stuff is beyond me. But again, it goes back to the same thing I just said. It's those ghosts that continue to haunt us that will not allow us to progress, to keep us from trusting each other, and ultimately sac- they destroy everything that we try to build again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't, I, I've never been given an explanation for why we celebrate Robert E. Lee in, in, in we forget on what day we do it, why we would do so anyway. He has no ties to the state. He has, uh, I mean, he, he was not from here. He's not some great general from here. He wasn't even that great of a general. I mean, there, there are far more there are far, uh, generals that are far better than he is, far He's more respected. Yes. He's He's a loser. Got, uh, thousands of, of kids killed. I mean, also, yeah. uh, I mean, you want to, I mean, even more ridiculous is why we celebrate Jefferson Day. Yeah, I <laughs> know. I mean, every, just... the, the entire country, with the exception of Alabama and Mississippi, and Mississippi, have put him in his proper place. But no, it, we get a day off here for him. Um, and uh, and, I, and for my mistaken, I think even Mississippi is beginning to move away from the celebrate celebrating Jefferson Day. And hell, I think he was he wasn't he from Mississippi? Or was he from Kentucky? Hell, I don't yeah. know. But he wasn't I think from, he was from Kentucky and lived in Mississippi for a long period of time. But though. he but he wasn't from Alabama. No, and he hated it here. Wrote about how terrible the state was. <laughs> he didn't like it. Yeah. Then he didn't he live for, for like one month and that left. Yeah, yeah. That's it. He had to be here uh, for that period of time, and he hated every second of it and could not wait to get out of here. So uh, it just, yeah. it's just it's, again, and if we're talking about a good faith effort to make sure everybody feels included here, uh. Uh, you got to think that celebrating Jefferson Davis is personal. Like, I'm, we're going to do it just because. So uh, I think if Alabama wants to put that good foot forward for the rest of the country, one of the things we need to do is just go ahead and separate that day and get rid of those holidays altogether. Yeah. I propose legislation yeah. to call Jefferson Davis Day, uh, Jefferson Davis Day, we call it State Employees Day. We can call it First Responders Day. We can call it anything but that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are, there are, there are hundreds of of good and decent Alabamians out there uh, who have come throughout our history that we could honor, uh, you know, that we could we could make a day for, that we could honor, that we know their sacrifice. There, there are World, World War II heroes out that from our state that we could honor. Uh, there are all sorts of people out there who have done good things. But to 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 choose this, you know what what this is? Yep. It's yep. just a, it's just a poke in the eyes. All it is. I mean, you know, it's it's a middle <laughs> finger. Yeah, yep. it's a middle finger to all. It is. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, listen. We didn't, get, we didn't get a chance to talk about pardons and parole. We didn't get a chance to. I, I'm. Oh, anyway, we, Go, we, no, we, we can talk about pardons and parole. What, what would you like to say? I mean, um, I just want to remind people. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I saw a comment from the newspaper recently that Steve Barcel said that we need to get away from the left wing, leftist politics, and the 
let everybody out of jail stuff that uh, the legislature has been doing. Uh-huh. That's what I remind people that every bit of the things that he's talking about were all enacted by Republicans. <laughs> all, the all the sentencing things that he's complaining about, the class D felony issues, the, mm-hmm. the, the presumptive sentencing, everything he's talking about was passed in the last, within the last decade. Yeah. After 2010. And, and almost know, all of it, and almost all of it, the handiwork of a longtime Republican judge, one of the hardest judges you'd ever meet in your life, Jim right. Hill. And, and mm. <laughs> he's going to hear that, by the way. Yeah, and I know he is. And also, let me just say this, too. Um, do you know what happened uh, around 2014, 2015, maybe? Alabama was experiencing a the reduction in prison population that was actually being celebrated and lauded across the country. But you know what happened at the same time of that prison redu- prison population reduction? Crime went down too. Oh, what? Hmm. Imagine that. Hmm. And then 2019 comes around, and Lee Wafney is appointed to be the chair of the of the of the board of, uh, of the pardons and parole board. We immediately stopped having pardons, stopped having paroles. Prison population starts shooting through the roof, and guess what else happened? Crime oh. rose up. Oh, okay. So let me ask you a question. And I'm willing to give my Republican colleagues credit. When they were doing it the right way, reducing prison population responsibly, and also the corresponding or, or core, uh, uh, reduction in crime, they were doing it right. But the very same people now that were behind that initial charge to reduce prison population and reduce crime are now doing everything wrong and increasing crime and increasing the prison population to an unmanageable number. So I just want to remind everybody, this is not a, this is, this was not a Democrat party problem here. These are Republicans. As a matter of fact, the Republicans are unraveling all of the years of piss poor sentencing reforms that the Democrats did for hundreds of years. So no, no. So so this is not a dis- so no. These are Republicans fighting over this stuff, and I, and we're doing it wrong. And if anybody ever tells you that a parole system that doesn't work and doesn't release people is a key component to a criminal justice system that's effective and fair and seeks justice, then they don't know what they're talking about. Because because uh, in order for us to have a safer public. You have to be able to identify those who are, or who are incarcerated that will be better served outside of the facilities so you can make room for people that need to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the whole point. And also, yeah. if you tell me that the people that are getting out after serving 20 years are so dangerous, why would you want them to EOS, end of sentence, and get out without any supervision? It doesn't make any sense. And no. also, you saw this last story. A 71-year-old woman that was uh, up for parole who served over 20 years in prison who's uh, getting dialysis yeah. and sick needs to be out. They deny that mm. person. And let me ask you a question. The, uh, there was a small part of the population of our prison system that cost the most money. That money that we're going to spend to basically become a hospice care for her is money that we could have been spending on rehabilitating people. The same money that we could spend on programming, mm-hmm. the same money that we can spend on making sure that when these folks do get out, because most of the people who go to prison get out, they have the resources necessary 
to re-socialize so they don't reoffend. But also, if we're at a point where we're 150 to 160% overpopulation, that means that every spot matters. So you can reasonably argue that she's taking this way, the spot from a person that really needs to be incarcerated. Mm. Yeah. So you tell me how that's public safety. And we're not even going to get into the fact that it's, uh, you know, it appears to me that most of the decisions are made on arbitrary things that ain't got nothing to do with whether or not this person is going to be a threat to public safety, like their damn skin mm. color. So yeah. um, the system is absolutely broken. And I guarantee you that if it were operating in the other way, we would have a number of bills introduced to create oversight for it. We'd have a number of bills introduced to, to, uh, to put a system of checks and balance on it so it wouldn't get out of control like it is right now. But, yep. but since we are in the business of incarcerating people entirely too long and selling people on the concept that this is what public safety looks like, then we'll get away with it as long as as long as the legislature allows it to happen. So, but hey, uh, I'll be introducing legislation again this session to create oversight for the parole board. Uh, to hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll see some something to give on that. Uh, and ultimately, actually, uh, I want the public to ask our attorney general, the public to ask our governor, and it, all those folks in charge. Since you say crime has gone up, but you've also increased the prison population through the roof, what exactly have you done to make us safe? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, as I told you uh, when we started, that uh, the, the best Chris England is the annoyed Chris England. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and and listen, no, this is great. I, I'm not I'm not making light of anything here. This was, was good. All of these things needed to be said and, mm. and said in a way that I think people can consume them easiest as, as you've done. Uh, and and we really really appreciate you coming on and spending the time and, and breaking things down for people because I think you Always. do it better than anybody. I really do. I really think you do it better. You you take this approach uh, that's kind of an intellectual uh, but yet uh, easy to understand approach to things uh, that, that explains stuff in a common sense way that, that many others don't. And uh, even when you get angry and annoyed, I mean, it's just, uh, see, whenever I do it, uh, whenever I get angry and annoyed, I just yell and scream incoherent things all the time. And yeah. people are, a lot, of, know, lot so, of cussing, too. A lot of yeah, cussing. Yeah, I do a lot of cussing. Yeah, yeah I do. I do, too. I, yeah. I do, too. Unfortunately, I'm trying my best to not do it here. And since this, again, I told you this is the new 2023, Chris, I, I'm just going to say thank you. We thank you and, uh, and we appreciate you, know, you spending the time. I just want to say uh, we, we uh, appreciate you. I uh, appreciate David. I know you say you do a lot of yelling and, 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 and <laughs> whatnot, but you're, both of you guys, your perspective is needed in, in, this, uh, in our environment right now. Um, yeah. Somebody has got to say that there is another way to look at this and uh too often we're getting an argument between really crazy and not quite as crazy Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. so um we need another perspective to kind of pull us to not to the left because that's Mm -hmm. i don't think we'll ever get there but to pull us at least to the middle where we're focused on governing and not just things we do to keep getting reelected and and you uh, you guys provide that perspective, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Well, appreciate in you. your spirit. Yeah. Uh, thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah. We're, we're just going to say thank you. Uh, so, uh, uh, so, so yeah. Listen. So now that we've all thanked everybody and each other and stuff, uh, let's 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 get out of here uh, and let you go about your business of, of making things better. And, uh, and but honestly, thank you for spending the yeah. time and and helping explain some of this stuff. And, and good luck in the upcoming session. All right. Yep. Thank you. Always good to see you, Chris. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right. It's, uh, it is Representative Chris England. Uh, always great. Uh, mm-hmm. We really appreciate him doing doing what he does for uh, here on the show, and then uh, you know, in, in the legislature, and in just regular life. So, all right, let's slide out of here. Uh, back in a minute, Alabama politics. Alabama politics <laughs> this week. We're back in a minute. Everybody, if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or I mean, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person, and uh, our thanks to uh, Representative Chris England for spending a little bit of time. Always Always. Oh, yeah. Always. Always, always. always. And listen, if you would like to get in touch uh, with us, you can uh, do so by emailing us at apwproducer (laughs) at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Yeah. And listen, also, also, uh, we haven't had a review in a while. So y'all go rate and review this bad boy. Pass this along to some of your friends out there. Let them know how great we are. Um, and uh, tell them, you know, to go by and review us. Unless they don't like us, then don't tell them where to review us. Uh, <laughs> but if you if you would like to leave a good one, it's uh, Apple Podcasts, and uh, you know, go so you can you can get us at any of those groups. So go ahead and subscribe as well. That also helps out. Yeah, I got a um, I got a, um, a somebody gave us kudos. A former candidate gave us kudos uh, for last week's podcast. She was saying that uh, she thought we did uh, uh, an admirable job of trying to uh, kind of sort through the whole uh, Alabama Democratic Party uh, situation. I'll use yeah. that word. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. got that as well. Yeah. Uh, I got that as well. Yeah, it's uh, although there was one person that was unhappy, but it's you know you're not going to please everybody. But uh, we you know, for the most part, I got that we we they felt like that we were respectful to Randy Kelly, which of course we were respectful to Randy Kelly. I like yeah. Randy Kelly just fine. I mean, I yeah, same he, here. He has his intentions. Uh, you know, he if we disagree on one little thing, that I don't think he's a horrible human being. Or no, so I think he's a he's a good man who who wants mm-hmm. to do the right things and. Uh, and has lived a good life uh, trying to help people, and mm, so that's you know, it's always to be commended and respected. And but you know, a lot of what he was saying in his position on this particular issue uh, with the bylaws didn't make a lot of sense, I think, and didn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. And so 
uh, I think that uh, we we did what we could in trying to nail down exactly what was going on here uh, without you know just uh, being being rude. And so that's, you know, that's all we can do, right? Uh, yeah. And I mean, we're not obligated to agree with Chairman Kelly, um, no. but I think we are obligated to be respectful in our disagreement. And I think we were. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, I, and I would also say, like you, I echo what you, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's a good man. I mean, I, I have no, I have nothing against him at all other than I disagree with his approach to this. Uh, but I also disagree uh, quite honestly with the approach of uh, Doug Jones. And uh, I don't agree with Tabitha on everything she's done either. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of wrong. If we're going to, you know, if we're going to point fingers, I think there's a lot of finger pointing that can be done here very legitimately. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that, I don't think that I have not seen personally my opinion, I just hadn't seen one key individual in this whole mix that I would say has gotten it right. I just, I haven't, <laughs> yeah. I haven't, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you name a name and I, I'm just going to say, no, I don't think they got it right. You know, I think this party needs a lot of help, man. Yeah, I, I could name, well, who yeah, would you name? Who would you I, name I would not name anybody right? who's got it totally right. I would say the one who's come closest to getting it right is our friend Andrew Daniels. Um, and well, I don't uh, see him really being a part of that 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 whole. Well, but he's I mean he's in the party. He's in well, the Democratic okay. Party. He's right. House well, Minority well, Leader. Okay. Um, you know. Okay. Okay. Um, and but I, but I think and here's why I say that I, I think uh, here's my 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 praise and my criticism. For, for Anthony, okay. My praise is I think that he handles himself with professionalism. Uh, he he sees yeah. the issues in front of him and he yeah. attacks those issues, uh, which is fundraising. He's figured yeah. out ways to fundraise better than almost anybody else in the party. Yeah. Uh, he figures out ways to recruit quality candidates better than probably anybody else in the party. Now, granted, he has a bit of an advantage in that the districts that he represents are are shifting more. Uh, more democratic, right? And uh, and so I think he attracts more quality candidates there. But but at the same time, he's done great at recruiting can- good good candidates to come up there and run for office. Um, and and I think he goes about it in a way that leaves himself kind of above the fray. Okay. Well, now, see, that's what I was going to say. I think that, he's been above yeah. the fray. I don't really yeah. see him being part of that whole. Well, back and forth I, thing with, I, you know. And that's going to be my criticism. Okay? Oh, okay. Is, right. is I, I feel like because he does a lot of things here mm-hmm. and he has, he's overworked himself uh, in a lot of areas. And I know because I talk to him on a fairly regular basis. I would call uh, Anthony a friend. Um, and, uh, and I believe he's a, a, you know, a good guy, and and I know what he's he does a lot of times, uh, and and a lot most of it isn't seen, and um and so I know that the some of the sacrifices he's making, and so I understand to a certain extent why he removes himself from this. Yeah. That said, I think his approach and his voice on a lot of things, and and educating other people on how he's going about this is something that would be very helpful and very important to the party. And because he removes himself a lot of times from the fray, 
uh, I don't think his uh, the people get the benefit of that. And uh, and so I think if he were more involved, it would be better for the party overall. But he doesn't he doesn't involve himself in a lot of this stuff, you know, and uh, he just doesn't he doesn't want to be. And, and I'll tell you the other thing about it is, is I think a lot of his involvement could help mend some of these bad feelings uh, because he brings this attitude of, I don't care about the sides. I just want to win some damn elections, you know? And, uh, and I think that's something that's desperately needed in the party right now. Well, that is, that is something that's desperately needed. I'm going to disagree with you on this though. I don't think it needs to come from Anthony Uh, and Anthony and I are friends also. And uh, so, you know, maybe I'm a little biased, but I think that, he serves the party best as minority leader. I think he serves the party best by focusing on being minority leader and not getting involved in the shootout at the OK Corral. I think he just <laughs> needs to stay away from that. Don't get caught hey, in the crossfire. Don't get caught in the right. crossfire. I, I just, I just wish that the the attitude that he takes to this could spread, and and I don't know where else it's going to spread from. You know, uh, that's that's my only thing. What what I really think is needed, and I don't think this is going to happen, but I think that somebody with stature outside of the state of Alabama needs to be brought in, you know, whether it's at the command of the DNC or whether it's by, you know, mutual agreement of the of the key stakeholders in this whole battle. But somebody of stature needs to be brought in to mediate and to resolve. You know, you know, when I say stature, I'm 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 really serious saying it needs to be somebody like, you know, former attorney general. um, What's his name? Uh, Black guy, former attorney general of the United States. Holder. Yeah. Holder. Whether it's Holder, whether it's uh, I mean, it could be. As far as I'm concerned, Barack Obama, you know, uh, (laughs) but somebody who whose credibility and whose judgment would not be questioned by either side, who can help to to mediate and resolve this thing. Otherwise, I don't think it's going to happen. I I just don't think I don't I don't don't think it's going to happen. I just I just don't think that that's that's going to happen, period. Uh, well, I don't uh, think it's no. going to happen either, but I'm just saying that would be uh, my dream. Even even if they brought in somebody, I, I I just I don't I don't think that there's anybody that they could bring in uh, that's going to that's going to squash this. Um, I mean, you know that they had that whole fight last time, you know, and and the and the national party got involved, and some pretty prominent folks were uh, were were involved in that, and. Um, but who were they though? Nobody's... Who were they that they, they were people that had a, a stake in it? If, if you're talking about Doug well, Jones, you can't no, be Doug Jones. About, well, no, I was talking about more like uh, you know the Tom Perez uh, folks, and you know they they were involved no, they, heavily in, in that. Uh, yeah, but know? they but they represent the DNC. It's got to be somebody yeah. who who at least has the appear who has some distance between the National Party. And the state party, it's got to be somebody who could be universally acclaimed and universally respected. Not Tom Perez. Tom Perez presided over a losing Democratic Party. Not him. 
You know, I don't know. I I just think it's gonna. Well, I tell you what, I think it's gonna have to be. I think it's gonna have to be a, an issue where some of the older folks move along, um, and and younger people come in, and and they mend some of the fences with. I, I'm talking about on both sides. Yeah. Let's say, let's say, um, Stephen Reed comes in to the to the leadership of the party and um, is more willing to reach across and say, hey, whoever on the other side, Tabitha, uh, whoever, uh, let's let's put this behind us and let's move forward. And you don't have the bad blood that was there. I, you know, I'll give you an example of this, okay? So uh, of, of what I think could happen, and it's going to be a very odd comparison, uh, but it, this the gambling fight in Alabama. All right. For for years and years and years, this gambling fight in Alabama was centered on one individual, uh, and it was Milton McGregor that won victory. Uh, and I, I know Milton well, loved him to death, uh, thought he was a great guy. Uh, but Milton was a very polarizing figure in much the same way that Joe Reed is a very polarizing figure right now. Uh, and for years and years and years, I told uh, Milton McGregor and others and wrote this for years and years that it would benefit all of the parties on the gambling side of this to come together and 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 pull their money basically and get behind a comprehensive sort of a plan to move forward and get uh, get gambling legislation on the books and they could never do it because um uh Milton you know had a had a fight with the Port Creek Indians and the Port Creek Indians didn't like Milton and you know and it was always this back and forth this polarizing thing between them and then as soon as Milton passed away and his son-in-law took over, there was this meeting between the two groups and they kind of set some differences aside. And all of a sudden, now we haven't got, they haven't gotten it done yet. Uh, they haven't been able to push it across the finish line, but there is a comprehensive bill that benefits all of the gambling establishments in, this, in Alabama, along with the Porch Creek Indians and everybody's on the same page pushing forward for that. And I think kind of the same thing could happen uh, with the Democratic Party, if you removed one or two very polarizing figures and you still pushed the the agendas that they have, you still you still do things that they would want to have done. But simply because it's not them doing it, it makes a difference, I think, to a lot of people. And I think that's what's going to have it's going to have to take in the Alabama Democratic Party. Well, I, I think you make a good point, um, because for sure. The tone of the discussion needs to change. And and I think that's really probably the biggest issue of all. It's that there's just too much acrimony. Yeah. So um And look, know, let's be honest. You know, we can be around know, Bush. We're talking about Joe Reed here, okay? Well, and, and, well and, no, and we've had Joe on. No, but I'm gonna be fair. I'm gonna be fair. We've had Joe on and I love Joe yeah. Reed. Okay. I like him. I think I think what he's done in his past should be committed and he's a great guy. But he's a very polarizing figure within the party, and a lot of people see him as enemy number one. Yeah, and every but, as soon as he walks into the room, everything explodes. But but the reason I'm pushing back specifically on what you're just mm-hmm. saying now, when it comes to my point about acrimony, is that the acrimony isn't coming from just Joe Reed. No, no, all right. No, acrimony is no, coming not. from yes. Randy Kelly, Tabitha yes. Eisner. And certainly in the in the in the in the past, Doug Jones as well. 
So my my argument is that, but like, mo- way more than just them, way more than just those people. I mean, they're 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 way more than right. those folks. So the are, tone, are, there's acrimony so, everywhere. So the tone needs to change. Yes, and yes. to change the tone, I think you're right. We need to get some different personalities into you know sitting at the table trying to resolve this. Stephen Reed, I think, is a great example of somebody who could do it. Now, would he be accepted because of because he's Joe's son? I don't know, but but I think you're right. Stephen would be great. Another person who would be great, I think, would be. um, Well, I won't say. Well, let me not say. I know he'd be great, but I suspect he could be great. Is the mayor of Birmingham, Randall Woodfin? I think I think he's got enough standing um, that perhaps he could do it. Um, outside of those folks, I don't know those two guys. And I was trying to think if there was any woman, I, I think, you know, I'm such a big fan of Laura Halls. I think Laura could probably, could probably do it. She's got the, she's got the, I think she's got the universal respect and the temperament. The only thing I'm not sure of is whether or not she would have enough power and leverage to make to make people listen and to make it happen since she's in the legislature and is not a mayor or a sitting US senator or somebody outside of Alabama with national stature. That's that would be my only concern with Laura. But I think Laura certainly has the the um uh, the 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 respect and the capacity to do it as much as anybody else, um, yeah. but we got to find somebody, man. Because quite honestly, <clears throat> I'm gonna tell you what this feels like for me. I feel like I'm on a train that we all know is gonna crash. We don't know necessarily where, we yeah. don't know necessarily when, but we know that it's going to crash. Yeah, well, I mean, well. You kind of th- you kind of feel like I mean to me it kind of feels like you're you're in the crash already and it just keeps crashing you know what mm, I mean it just keeps okay. you know what I mean there's there's no like a groundhog day it, of yeah <laughs> you can't ever get it back on the track you know what I mean it's just you all just keep pushing it to try to get it on the track and it never yeah. gets on the track and uh, and it just uh, I, I don't know it, it I, and like I said I I don't I I, I don't blame. Joe Reed for everything, like a lot of people right. do. Right, neither uh, do I. Neither and do I, I and um, you know, I and it's it's kind of the same way when I was talking about Milton McGregor. I I understand completely where his point of view was on all of this, and he was right. You know, he was. It doesn't just because you're right about something sometimes though does not mean that it's it's what's best for the overall outcomes. Exactly. Simply because, as unfair as it might be. Other people have this view of you that does not lend itself to reconciliation. And I think that's where we are with this is there's just this view. Now, Joe Reed's in charge and we're all going to fight, you know, and it's just what are y'all doing? I mean, if you watch that meeting, my God, that was such a absolute circus from the from the beginning to the end of this thing. And, you know, and I, I just... I, I don't know. It, it's, it's just, as I so said to some folks, it's, it's just so disappointing uh, to, to watch that and and to watch people who agree on 99% of things and whose ideas would be such a positive change for the state of Alabama fight each other into irrelevancy. 
you know, and that's that's what's taking place. But um, all right. So speaking of uh, of irrelevancy, uh, Perry Hooper Jr. is back in the news. Uh, I don't know if you <sighs> saw this yeah. or not. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, all of this that happened to him, baby, you're going to be shocked when you hear this. All of this that happened to him was a conspiracy. Uh, it was a grand political scheme by the folks who hate Donald Trump uh, to to basically destroy Perry Hooper. They were so put out by Perry Hooper's love of Donald Trump and his writing and correspondence somehow with Donald Trump uh, that they orchestrated this political hit job against Perry Hooper. And so he's had to, he's now had to sue the city of Montgomery and the, and the Montgomery police department and, the, and their new chief of police uh, to, to clear his name uh, basically. And, and he wants the video and he wants to produce no, and for real, not, not, you know, not wink, wink. He wants the video wink, wink. Uh, to to be public and to so he can show people that what actually took place at that restaurant was just simply him thanking the hostess, uh, coming up behind her, giving her a peck on the cheek, saying thank you for the table, and uh, and then leaving. And it was two point two seconds, and he was out the door. Now this is this is what I find most interesting about the whole thing, uh, and it, and it really makes me wonder. Uh, if he's because he's pushing so hard for video to be released, it makes me wonder what what are we going to see? What are we he's going to see? Pushing hard for that video to be released. You don't think he is? No, I think he, he is. I mean, he said he wants it to be released. He does not. Want to be released. Well, I think he's I think he's betting that the video will never be released. Oh, uh, so I you think, think it's a subterfuge? Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I think well, he, I think that they they're what they're wanting to do because I mean, he was indicted based on this video. Right. The grand jury right. saw this video and right. said, "Yeah, that somebody needs to be indicted for felony sexual assault." Right. Uh, and so, no, I think that what he's betting on is that by taking legal action, he will now prevent any distribution of this video. Um, and in the meantime, he can make these claims publicly uh, through Tommy Gallion. And say that no, 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 this is all wrong. This is all a farce. He didn't do anything of the sort, uh, and the video won't be released. And that the uh, victim in this case, uh, and we can call her a victim because he's already admitted to doing the stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. he's already issued a public right, apology right, and right. said he he behaved uh, abhorrently or whatever, yeah. however he termed it, yeah. and called this girl an exemplary uh, individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, uh, of course, now in the new lawsuit, she has a very troubled past and was suckered into this and, and never really filed these charges anyway. This, they were all made up charges, and well, she just went along with it later. Well, this is the other this this was the other question I had about it as I was trying to sort of analyze this. He names the city of Montgomery, I think, and the police chief in the suit, but he doesn't he doesn't name her, right? No, he does not. No, he doesn't name her. She was just a pawn. Well see, I find that very curious because because how do you I mean, she was central. She's the one who made the accusation. She's no, the one look, that you know so this all goes back to the black mayor. Do you not understand? Can you not draw these lines? Well, no, this is but the what black I'm saying, mayor going after the pro-Trump guy. Yeah, but what I'm saying is this is the weakness in his argument. I'm oh, saying, there are many. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying that the weakness in his argument is 
He's saying that the very person who made the accusation and who's central to the whole, you know, there there is no case without her, but he's not suing her. That's well, that's that's strange to me. But he also claims in the lawsuit that she never filed anything, that the police department just made it all up and then that she just later went along with it and was just simply a pawn that was being used. And they didn't know any better. So yeah, this she is, never filed anything. This is just another variation of Trump saying uh, that that he won an election that he didn't win. This is just that exactly. same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just basically saying shit. That's yeah, all. Yeah, that's all yeah, it is. It's yeah. just him saying things. Uh, you know, there's no there's no rhyme or reason for any of this. And uh, I mean, trying to apply logic to this is just. I was trying to be logical. Yeah. Well. That's when it comes to Perry, that's your first mistake there, because, I mean, it's just, my God. Um, I mean, no, it, th- yeah, I, I believe that the, the calculation here is that he, he, he knows this thing is not going to be released if it's under litigation. Uh, I mean, I think he's kind of not counting on the fact that this was not a video uh, simply maintained by the Montgomery Police Department. This didn't come from like security cameras outside the restaurant on a telephone pole. This came from the security cameras inside the restaurant, uh, maintained by Ravello, uh, and which is the name of the restaurant. And the uh, and I think those people at the restaurant have copies of this, and so and other people have apparently seen it, and so there are other copies floating around out there, and so I think they're playing a pretty dangerous game yeah. in two ways. One. Uh, that somebody's not going to send this video back out. And two, and here is the big one, okay? This is the big one, because I know for a fact that they straight up lied in this lawsuit about the mother claiming what she claimed, uh, that, uh, that the daughter, I know that that did not happen. And so... Wait, be, be specific so people can follow you, that the mother, what was the claim? That there was a portion of, and I, I would love, let me, I would have to go back and read the actual lawsuit. Let me see if I still have this thing pulled up here somewhere. Uh, because there's a portion of this lawsuit. Uh, said accuser has had a troubled past, and when her mother found out what happened, she told the plaintiff, that would be Perry Hooper, that her daughter had been used. Uh, the accuser and her mother informed the DA's office that she did not wish to proceed in this matter. So, so yeah, that, that, that's what they're claiming that the mother told, uh, Perry Hooper was that, uh, the daughter had been used. And now we, uh, I believe that to be untrue. Uh, and I have very good reason for believing that was untrue, that the mother never said anything to the sort, uh, or of the sort. And I, but, and so here's why that matters though. All right. Yeah. Forget the he said, she said part of this. If, if they become really pissed at Perry about making these claims, and I believe they're pretty angry about it right now. Uh, if they are, they can simply go back to the DA and said, "Okay, we're willing to cooperate now. Let's move forward." Because mm. being null prost as this as this uh, charge was. Uh, there were no stipulations about refiling the charges. Mm-hmm. There they can refile those charges up to the day that the statute of limitations runs out. And I believe that's seven years uh, in, in the state of Alabama for felony sexual assault, maybe longer. Um, and so this is a pretty big gamble by Perio and Tommy Gallion that they're not going to anger these people enough or that the deal, I guess, wasn't good enough or it couldn't be. 
I'm assuming that the deal that they worked out with this young lady worked went both ways in, in terms of what they could say and couldn't say publicly, but maybe right. it didn't. I don't know. Uh, and so, so maybe, you know, maybe they decide. I also know that the, the victim in this is you know, the, the, the family is not hurting for money uh, here. This is a fairly prominent family in Montgomery. Uh, and so uh, her dad, uh, I believe, is a doctor there. And in Montgomery, very fairly well-known doctor around Montgomery, and so um, yeah, it's uh, so I, I had always assumed that the that she and Perry Hooper that they cut a deal mm-hmm. financially, yes, that a financial that deal. True. I have no so, evidence of that now, right. but I assume that to be the case, and that was always my assumption. So, assuming that that is true then that would mean that there would be an NDA involved. And so maybe that's why he feels, and again, speculation on my part, but maybe that's why he feels that he can just say anything he wants because she's under this NDA. Yeah, I assume that that's probably true, although, uh, you know, obviously the violation of an NDA would not be you're going to go to prison if you violate it. If you got to, you know, you're going to give back, I'm going to be able to sue you to get the money back or whatever it is that I gave you. And um, and in which case, I, I believe what he's specifically playing with fire and and this uh, deal with is because they don't necessarily need the money, uh, you know. Um, and so uh, I think that uh, we'll see we'll see what happens uh, here. But something I, I would, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just going to ask yeah. one other thing because I know we got to do our right wing nut of the week. Curious to know, do you know, I've always wondered, what is the race of this young woman? He really is, so it's a white, prominent family. That seems to me like he really is playing with fire. Yeah, and an orange attacker. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, really. (laughs) Did you say orange? Uh, <laughs> that is just that's funny that's funny on so many different levels okay okay all right let's do, let's do right wing nut uh right. it's, it's amazing that we didn't go with perry hooper for right wing nut but uh we, we went a little more serious route uh because our right wing nut is ron DeSantis in florida uh for what he is doing down there uh and the clear racism involved in what he is doing um and it's uh abhorrent uh, it is exactly what we would expect from Ron DeSantis. Um, it is calculated. It is something that you know full well he's doing to to attract the votes of, of bigots and racists and then going to pretend as though he's innocent in all this. Um, and, and it's... Uh, and, and just to be specific, what we're talking about is... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, I, I get... You know, it just angers yeah. me to, to know the, the degree is is they're trying to kill an AP African American Studies course, uh, and and they they knew what they were doing when they picked this. They knew what the attention it would get. They knew what would happen when they leaked it out. They knew what uh, how how it would be taken and what it looked like because it looked like it, it looks like exactly what it is, which is racism for the benefit of a public official to get votes from racists. Okay, it's no different than the Robert E. Lee Martin Luther King holiday in Alabama. It's 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 there for the benefit 
of of certain politicians to get, to attract the votes of racists. Okay, that's all it is, and that's all this is right here is that. And it doesn't matter about the detriment to students. It doesn't matter about the hurt that it causes. It doesn't matter about uh, all of these things that kids won't learn because you're going to kill this course. And and so they'll, they'll have less of an understanding of their fellow citizens and what's happened to them over the course of their lives uh, from students who choose to and pay for this education. Okay. So this is who Ron DeSantis is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's it's right out of the old. To me, it's right out of the George Wallace playbook. You know, it's this whole uh, how can we, you know, race we know is a great way to galvanize a certain kind of uh, voting block, and mm-hmm. and is a great way to uh, further divide the populace. So, what? How can we use race? How can we insert race into this to our benefit? And it's what, you know, over the past 40, 50 years, it's what Republicans have chosen to do. Before Republicans were choosing to do what Democrats were doing it. It's what happens in this country. You know, race is always going to end up being used by by some opportunistic group of politicians to try to uh, to try to play to the worst fears of, uh, quite frankly, of white people. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's shameful. It is, it is, it's shameful. And, and it's even more shameful that it works some, uh, for some people, yeah. you know, and, and it's shameful that, that other people are defending him for this. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, first of all, you don't have any real business sticking your nose in, into this issue in the first place. You know, you don't you don't really have any business as the governor of the state uh, going in and trying to dictate what courses are taught at different uh, universities. That's you know, right. I mean, this is this is a perfectly acceptable course. Uh, there are courses on all sorts of things. You don't have to take them. You don't have to take them for this. That's this right. An elective course uh, that that students can take and that they can pay for uh, if they if they so desire to take them. And it's a course I guarantee you would provide some historical context and some information about what has led, uh, what, what has transpired over the course of, Af- uh, of African-Americans being in this country and, and where we are today because of this. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, you don't have to agree with everything that takes place in a, in a course, everything that you're told or taught. You don't have to agree with that. That's right. It's, you know, this is an AP level course. Yeah. Okay. And that's really the whole point. AP really is about, uh, as you said, those are elective courses. And those are also supposed to be courses where critical thinking is highly encouraged. So kids can push back, they can challenge, they can debate. I mean, it's supposed to be a robust academic environment. Yeah. And it's. Um... Yeah, and if they had had more of a robust academic environment, um, we probably wouldn't have Ron DeSantis as your governor. So, you know, yeah, you know, that, that uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just tired of it. You know, just tired of it. Yep. So, all right, let's uh, let's get ourselves out of here. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think what we've given you is is good. Okay. What we've given you people. You know, you can't go wrong with Chris England, man. You just can't. Yeah. And, and you know what? And we're, we're, we're not bad either. 
Well, no, no, we no. Do okay. we're, yeah, we 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 do all right. We do all right. But I think the cherry on top is is yeah. having somebody like Chris on. Man, he's really smart and uh, candid and insightful. Yeah, I wish he was a little more timely. But you know, <laughs> well, you can't have everything, Josh. <laughs> yeah, right. You're right. You can't. You really, really can't. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get out of here. Till right. next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace. Thank <laughs> you.